Welcome to the feminist history party you've been waiting for. This is Nevertheless, She Existed. This is the podcast about the women of history who were underappreciated, overlooked, or sometimes completely forgotten about until we literally dig their stories out of history. Not literally. Then why are you covered in dirt? Gotta stop drinking red wine. (laughs) It's not good for me. The stories you'll hear on this podcast are recorded live at our show in New York City at Caveat, your favorite speakeasy that gets you a little smarter and a little drunker on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Each month, we do a deep dive into an itsy-bitsy portion of women's history with a series of larger-than-life stories about larger-than-life women who should be in your larger-than-life history books. Too big for a backpack. (laughs) My name is Molly Gaby. I'm still on French Riviera time, so please forgive how sexy, fancy, rich, and jet-lagged I sound. My name is Kylie Holloway. I'm still on Scotland time, so please forgive how whiskey-soaked and misty I sound. This is the first episode in our Bitches Who Braved the Unknown series. We're talking explorers, astronauts, botanists. It's going to be wild, like the tundras and tropics these women explored. Explored anything recently, Molly? Mm, Yes, I have. Along with my therapist, I've explored my unresolved issues with childhood trauma from sudden loud noises. What about you? Well, I've been lying awake at night, alone in my room, Mm. exploring my anxieties about the uncertainties of my career. Love that for us. The cool thing about our expeditions is that they're free or covered by insurance. Hell yeah. (laughs) On this series, we're celebrating a dark and unknown corner of women's history. Female explorers. Mm -hmm. The landscape is murky and uncharted, but fear not. I, Molly Gaby. And I, Kylie Holloway. Will be your intrepid host slash guides and fellow explorers. Mm. Let's be honest. When you think of explorers, you probably think Lewis and Clark, Christopher Columbus, Leif Erikson, Dora... That's what they want you to think. Mm -hmm. But throughout history, there have actually been some amazing real-life non-cartoon women who bucked tradition and social norms and headed out to see with their very own eyes what the world had to offer. Now, when many of these women were trekking the globe, ladies were deemed not competent enough to vote, serve on juries, own their own land, or even eat out by themselves. You should always eat out with a partner. I've tried it alone, and it is impossible. Molly, my parents listen to this podcast. Sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Holloway, once again. Just to touch on that jury thing real quick. In 1879, the Supreme Court affirmed a law banning women from juries, saying that women were too faint of heart to hear the gory details of criminal cases. I'm sorry, too gory? For women, do you know what the demographics of the Investigation Discovery Network are, a.k.a. the Murder Network? No, tell us. Okay, women ages 25 to 54, we live for this shit. (laughs) Deadly woman. Fear thy neighbor. Fatal vows. Evil twins. Or Molly's personal favorite. Swamp murder. No one is more here for gore than us. All the murders take place in a swamp. (laughs) It's a good show. She's from Florida. (laughs) Female explorers could handle some shit. Like, Diane Fossey literally could handle her shit. She dealt with gorilla poop. Amy Crocker had a pet boa constrictor. She did it before you did, Brittany. First woman to climb Mount Everest, Junko Taipei, was in an all-male Mountaineers club in the 60s. Can you imagine the body odor that she had to deal with? Do I have to? No, you do not. That is your right. Uh, The point is is that the woman that we're going to hear about in this series lived... For the thrill of the wild, for the sake of the adventure. But not everyone was down for ladies getting thrills. Men, historically, have not loved lady thrills. Kylie, what is a lady thrill? Something that elicits this sort of sound. Ooh-hoo-hoo-hoo! Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, like mm-hmm. a wind on an ankle or a dainty orgasm. Is that what you sound like when you orgasm? Don't yuck my yum. I won't. 
I'm sorry, I forgot. Early concerns about women traveling were largely based on presumptions about their supposedly delicate bodies. I do have baby bird bones, but I had to pay a lot of money for those because men loves sexy baby birds. Yes, I learned that early on from Cosmo. Men love when you play hard to get and young, hot, fowl. Critics of early steam spewing locomotives, for example, thought that women's bodies were not designed to go above 50 miles an hour, and they worried that female passengers' uteruses would fly out of their bodies if they accelerated to that speed. God damn, I hate when my uterus just takes off on me like that. Eustace, get back here. My uterus name is Eustace. Eustace, interesting. Mine's called the Punisher. Are you on your period? Second time this month. Woo, fun. That's the Punisher, baby. Despite absolutely wild assumptions about their bodies, women did find ways to travel and to study science, and some even traveled and scienced at the same time. I don't believe it. So you're going to hear the story of Inez Mejia, the top broad of botany. Now, as a houseplant addict, I loved this story. Also, if one of our listeners wants to send a monastera to the office, I will kick Molly off the show and let them take over. Call my bluff. It wouldn't be the first time I was replaced by a plant. <laughs> as far as scientific fields available to women go, botany was actually pretty wide open. Gardening was considered a woman's hobby, so women were able to study plants when most other fields of scientific study were closed off to them. Why were plants seen as a woman's hobby? Um, I don't know, because they can't play sports or score goals. But they can root. <laughs> Somebody please send a plant Give so I can quit. Me a raise. <laughs> <laughs> please. Okay, uh that being said, Inez had her share of difficulties, of course, but she was able to use her status as a scientist to achieve an unusual level of independence for her day. In the early 20th century, married women were literally not allowed to hold their own passports, but this bitch traveled all the way up the Amazon to its source in the Andes. No big deal. We're so excited to share her story with you. This is Tally Medell celebrating Inez Mejia. Okay, lucky me, I get to tell you about Inez Mejia, who is a Mexican-American botanist. We love Inez. We love her, okay? You ready? This is an illustration by Rafael Lopez, but I didn't put his uh, name down there because it's about Inez, not Rafael. Um, I was super psyched after just Googling a Mexican explorer woman um, to find that not only is Inez Mexican-American, she is actually half Mexican-American, and in fact, she has a white American mom and a Mexican dad like me. Representation's cool. I know that I'm as white as the moon. All my melanin just got washed out during conception. But um, it's really incredible to read about people in history who are like you. Something that we are raised to think is, I don't know, that it's this sense of being othered is for anyone who's, you know, like not a white straight, straight cis male, right? Um, but uh, why would I ever get that sense? Oh, I don't know if Inez Mejia is omitted from the history of STEM. So like, don't do that. Okay, so Inez is a 52-year-old former social worker from San Francisco who enrolls in natural sciences at UC Berkeley at age 52 as a special student. Oh, my God. Then she gets to go on a Stanford-sponsored expedition to Mexico. It's a botany expedition with a woman named Roxy Ferris. While she's there, she 
catalogs 500 specimens, and that is hard work, and 50 new species. That's insane. 52 years, sorry, now she's 55. So um, she drops out of college because things just aren't going that well. Just kidding. She drops out of fucking college because she's already a botanist. So she does what a lot of people do, which is like, oh, why am I going to school for this? I'm going to save the money. So she um, goes off on her own. She splinters off from the student group. And she starts funding her expeditions by selling her specimens back. So she's selling these back to the Gray Herbarium at Harvard. She's selling them back to the Field Museum in Chicago, back to UC Berkeley. She ends up selling back or she says she ends up sending back 1500 back to UC Berkeley while she's in Mexico. So the reason that she's so at home in Mexico is because she is a former resident in Mexico. So she knows the language and she knows the land. She, and, and her mind is insane. She can recall every single specimen that she's ever seen. I know. The way that she sends her specimens back is via steamship. Because it's 1925. So in the U.S., we've got the Prohibition and the Roaring Twenties. But in Central and South America, we've got Inez Mejia with 75 pounds of paper, her typewriter, and her camera. Cool. We love her. Here's the thing. So when you other people like Inez Mejia, it's because she's outside of some sort of what, I don't know, spectrum. I don't see her as other. I see her as a woman in my family. Inez Mejia traveled via dugout canoe down the Amazon River for two and a half years with a native guide. My grandma Concha fell in the lawn once and their dog Taylor came out and she said, Taylor, go get help. And Taylor laid down in the grass next to her and fell asleep. So, you know, two incredible women. Who contributed more? It's a hard call. Um, Inez, why did it take so long to enroll in school? Um, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to give too much time to like, you know, people being like a woman botanist. Um, uh, <laughs> the white women had had the right to vote for two years when she enrolled in college, um, and. Uh, then it was a challenge in the Supreme Court the year that she went to college. Did you know that? It got challenged. Um, I don't know why. So the reason that it took so long for her to enroll in college is because it's what happens to every smart, capable woman in the entire world. Other people try to take her fucking time. Leave us alone. We don't have time. So Inez's early life, what was going on? Her dad is a Mexican diplomat, and her mom is a white American lady, and her dad is also... A hoe. And my dad, my Mexican dad, is not a hoe, but he dances like one. Uh, but so Inez, she's in, she's traveling around different schools around the United States with her, with her white mom and her mom's six kids. And she is really, really smart. But when she graduates high school, her dad, who is back in Mexico City now, is really sick. So she moves to help take care of him. She gets married. Her dad passes away. She spends the entirety of this first marriage just fighting with her dad's mistress over her inheritance. Her husband dies after seven years when she has her inheritance. She starts running a poultry and livestock business out of her father's Mexico City hacienda. She marries a 22-year-old employee when she's 
38. He's 16 years her junior. Yeah, get that young dick. Um, but he's stupid, and he bankrupts them, and he gives her a mental breakdown. Um, so she goes to San Francisco. She is hospitalized, and her doctor says, leave his ass. What are you doing? And she's like, oh, my gosh, you're right. She sells her property for $25 an acre back in Mexico, and she um, gets work as a social worker. And for 10 years, she is in Northern California, and she's hiking, and nature has always been her solace. So this is my big takeaway from Inez Mejia. She moves toward her passion. She articulates and dignifies her passion by giving it attention, and the whole world opens up to her. I think it's something that we all get lost in a lot, getting trapped in these methods of like doing and moving through the world, feeling like there's some sort of codified thing that we have to do. But if you just decide to do the thing that you really love and do it well, you become a famous botanist. <laughs> and that's the only outcome. All of you will become botanists. I kind of feel like it's coming out of the closet in a way too, where it's like, this is who I am. Okay, and then everything's great. I, says, I don't know, whatever. I'm queer. That's how, my, my life is incredible. Um, this is something else I have to say. I was telling my husband, I'm queer, but I have a husband, um, which is also like so, um, it's like so punk. Uh, uh, when I was telling my husband about Inez Mejia, he was like, that's cool. I mean, your dad's also a Mexican-American biologist. And I was like, wow. Uh, yeah, he is. Um, my dad is also very good at what he does. He got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the U.S. Forest Service for his work in fisheries in the Tongass National Forest. And uh, I went to D.C. for the ceremony, and it was a disaster. We fought the whole time. Um, and uh, with Inez Mejia, she also had a temper, but it was probably just like sexist racist recording because like she apparently was very demanding but probably she was well, and also if she was fuck it take it um, um, with my dad it was just fighting time you know um, but uh, whenever it comes up that my dad um, is Mexican American and that he is a biologist who worked in Alaska I mean I think that there's a sure I guess a natural reaction to like oh wow but also I would like to say on behalf of her and behalf of him, fuck off. What is weird about a Mexican-American biologist anywhere? And also, if he ended up in Alaska, like, fine. It's because he's good at his job. I think... <laughs> thank you. You know what I mean, though? Othering is so dangerous. When you take, like, a lavender box for Marie Curie in your junior and high school textbooks your science textbooks and it's like badass bitches in science you're setting women in stem as an example of um, something unusual the more we do that the more it's going to stay the same so if people like me i'm sure i know i'm like white passing i'm able-bodied i'm whatever I didn't know that there were mixed women in science in the 1920s and 1930s I never would have been an actor if I knew that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but like, like everyone worked to create the cumulative knowledge that we have in our present day. So there's no reason that anyone in this room shouldn't be able to look back in history and find someone who looks or is like them. 
it's not true. It wasn't just white guys. It was everybody. In her 13 years as a botanist, and Esme here worked till she was 68, she died a month after being diagnosed with lung cancer. She had to come back from another fucking expedition in the jungles of Mexico. She was going on these expeditions in her mid-late 50s into her mid-late 60s. How incredible is that? And she's traveling, again, 75 pounds of paper, her typewriter, her camera. She travels solo. She loves to sleep under the stars. She'll travel with native guides with very small groups. And she's sending these meticulous specimens back. She collects 150,000 specimens over her 13-year career. She discovers two new genuses and 500 new species, all of which are named for her. And she's a wonderful writer. She's contributing to like the Audubon Society, to um, the Sierra Club, which she's been a member since before she even went to um, Berkeley. And uh, I just think she's such a wonderful writer. I know you already read the quote, um, so I'm not going to read it back to you, but I just love that she, she was very happy. <laughs> Thanks, Inez. And thank you so much for having the show, Caveat and Molly. This, is, this made me feel so good to be able to look back in history and feel some sort of connection when I never thought somebody like me would have one. Thanks. That was the story of Inez Mejia as told by Tally Medell. Tally is an actor, a comedian, and a dancer based in New York City. She has appeared on Inside Amy Schumer in Broad City, and she is one third of the Cocoon Central dance team. So funny. Check them out. They're really good. Okay, I have to mention that we also do research here at Neverless She Existed. Mm -hmm. Um, We did some extra Googling on Inez, and this is what we found from the internet. From our favorite source for news, a fun facts website. Mm -hmm. So you know it's true. Okay, it says, literally, quote, Inez Mejia had two flowers named after her because the scientific community wanted to honor her and make her feel better after falling off a cliff. She fell off a cliff? Yes, she fell off a cliff! And she felt better about it because she had two flowers named after her. <laughs> she, so she fell off this cliff, um, and she still had time to bring over back uh, 500 specimens, oh, I believe, no big something deal. like that. She mm-hmm. fractured her ribs, but she scored some flowers. Hashtag legacy. Legacy. Yes. Okay. Also, my second favorite tidbit from her life is, I don't know why I love this so much, but okay, so her second husband mismanaged the poultry business she had started at her father's hacienda in Mexico City, and she divorced his ass in 1908. I would pay so much money to hear that conversation. She <laughs> she comes back just coated in dust from this like long, arduous expedition of avoiding cliffs, and she's like, um, Augustine, what the fuck happened to the chickens? I'm sorry, you what? You must have left the door open. I leave for one month, and in that time, you managed to ruin an entire poultry business. I swore I would never let a man ruin my poultry business. And scene. You can't let him touch your poultry, ladies. Cosmo always said, rule number one of being an independent lady, keep your savings accounts separate, maintain your old circles of friends, and don't let them within a mile of your chickens. All right, we'll give you guys a second to write that down. There will be a test. Mm-hmm. There will. Uh, there's lots of lessons to be learned, wisdom to be gained, advice to be gleaned from Inez Mejia's life. Now, these sexy baby birds are going to go think deeply about Inez and feminism and houseplants. Uh, what does it sound like when you do that? <laughs> I thought so. 
We'll see you next time on Nevertheless, She Existed. Nevertheless, She Existed is produced by me, Kylie Holloway. Our editor is the fabulous Paula Pickering, and our executive producers are Ben Lilly and Kate Downey. They're fabulous, too. Our theme music is Wasting My Time by Thick. Nevertheless, She Existed is a production of Caveat. Follow us on socials at CaveatNYC and head to our website, caveat.nyc, to see upcoming podcasts as well as live events. You can follow Molly at Molly Gaby and Kylie at There's a Holloway. See you next time. <laughs>